The views and opinions expressed by various contributors to 98.5 CKWR and its radio programs are their own and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of 98.5 CKWR Wired World, Inc., its broadcasters, staff, or volunteers. Listeners are urged to use their own discernment and draw their own conclusions. Good morning, my name is Rob Daniels, and welcome to Visions and Sound. Now, for those that may be joining me for the very first time, Visions and Sound is a movie, TV, and video game soundtrack program that I produce each and every week, right here on 98.5 CKWR. Well, here we are, show number 13 of 2021, and show number 1066, if you're keeping track that way. Well, this week, we conclude, yes, conclude March with a celebration of the 30th anniversary of Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country. And joining me this week here on the show are uh, two guests. Unfortunately, Eric Woods could not be with us tonight. He was originally planned to be on the show. But we have wonderful people with us anyway. Up first uh, is Jason Drury, all the way from Ramsgate, England. Jason, how are you doing tonight? Good morning. Yes, very well, thank you. And we also have our resident Trek expert. Bob Pearson. Bob, how you doing? Yay. Okay. <laughs> All right. Thanks for having me. Hey, not a problem. So, uh, the late 70s and 80s did see a resurgence of Star Trek with the movies and a new TV series in 1987. However, and we should all be, we'll eventually get to discussing this, but when Star Trek V, The Final Frontier, came out in 1989 to less than stellar reviews, and with Star Trek's 25th anniversary looming in 1991, the execs felt something must be done. I seem to recall at the time that there was a rumor that Paramount planned to recast the original crew with younger actors. Sound familiar? And start a new series of films that highlighted their Academy days. Producer Harv Bennett, who originally been brought in to get Trek 2 under control, and under budget back in 1982, was tasked with doing this, and Bennett revised an, an idea by Ralph Winter and had the fourth film, a prequel, 
uh, featuring young versions of Kirk and Spock at Starfleet Academy. Now, the prequel was designed to be a way of keeping the characters, if not the actors, in what was called Top Gun in Outer Space. I remember reading readers in Starlog and fans in general were outraged and started a letter-writing campaign to Paramount to stop and keep the original crew, at least for the 25th anniversary. Now, actor James Doohan uh, claimed that Paramount had fired Bennett following negative reaction from the core cast, Roddenberry and fans. Bennett claimed that after he rewrote the script to include Shatner and Nimoy, Paramount still rejected it, and he decided that it was time that he left the franchise. He said, my term was up. I was offered offered $1.5 million to do Star Trek VI, and I said, thanks. I don't want to do that. I want to do the Academy. Actor Walter Koenig also approached Paramount with a, a new script outlined in codename In Flanders Fields. In it, Romulans join the Federation and go to war with the Klingons. The Enterprise crew, except Spock, are forced to retire if not meeting the fitness tests. So when Spock and his new crew are captured by a monstrous worm-like race of aliens, which Canning described as things that are monsters in, al- in the things that the monsters in aliens evolved from, the old crew must rescue them. In the end, all of the characters except McCoy and Spock die. Paramount then asked Leonard Nimoy to conceive the the new film to serve as a swan song for the original cast. Nicholas Meyer, who directed Wrath of Khan and co-wrote The Voyage Home, was also approached for an idea for a sixth film, but had none. Ralph Winter was brought into onto the project as producer shortly after Bennett's departure and said Paramount's mandate was to produce a 25th anniversary film that would not cost a lot of money. Nimoy visited Meyer's house and suggested, what if the wall comes down in outer space? Since the Klingons have always been the sort of stand-ins for the Russians, Meyer presented the idea of an intergalactic, intergalactic rather, Chernobyl, big explosion. We got no more Klingons. Nimoy's hiring of Meyer was not only beneficial because Meyer knew the material and could write fast, having produced Wrath of Khan screen, screenplay in 12 days. Wow, 12 days. Uh, if, but if Meyer was to direct, it would offset any acrimony from Shatner, whose ire would have been roused if Nimoy returned to direct this third, start his third, rather his third Star Trek feature after Search for Spock and The Voyage Home. While Meyer had no ambition to direct, the film uh, is... As actually to, to direct the film, it was uh, Meyer's wife who actually suggested that he direct the film. Okay, guys, back to 1991. And uh, for me, I remember standing outside the theater. Um, the manager comes out and says, uh, Yeah, the seven o'clock show for Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country, is sold out. I pipe up and say, Tell me something I don't know. So, um, yeah, for me, it was around the block. I remember the huge lines to get in and, uh, a lot of cheering and applauding during the film, especially for the opening, which is, uh, uh, the, uh, the single, the single, um, dedication to Gene. So guys, 1991, we'll start with you, Jason thoughts on Star Trek six 
and its opening. Did you see it in the theater back in 91? I did. I saw it in the theater. It was we were a bit more subdued over here. It wasn't it was sort of applauding and cheering. It was very quiet when the film started, and it just it was just an entertaining film. I really did enjoy it. It's a far better film I thought than Star Trek Five. <laughs> straight, straight away, and so it was. I, I remember seeing some of, some of the publicity stuff and getting very excited concerning the uh, some of the visuals of the other film. It really, really fascinating. So I was really looking forward to see it. And when it came out, it did not disappoint. And um, also, I think I, if I remember rightly, also I think I got the score just before I saw it, and so I had an idea what the music was like, and I'd heard. Cliff Eidemann was a great, was a very interesting up-and-coming composer, and I was interested to hear what he, his take on Star Trek music was, and, and yet again, I wasn't disappointed. It is, it is a solid film, it is, uh, and, and the score is really, 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 really good, and it's one of the... It's just a shame, I think we'll, we'll talk about this probably later on, it's just a shame that uh, Cliff Eidemann did not go on from there, like James Horn did for Star Trek 2. Precisely. It's, it, it's, a very, it's a very solid effort, and he's, it's a... I just do one on the, on the classic Star Trek scores to this day. Right. Okay, Bob, 1991. 1991, um, I was in Teachers College in Thunder Bay. Uh, one of the few times, therefore, that I actually took a crowbar to my wallet and went to the movie theater and saw this on the big screen. I don't remember anybody applauding in the theater, but then again, this is this was Thunder Bay, not... Uh, <laughs> Not down here in civilization, so to speak. <laughs> All right. Well, now, one of the things I think we maybe we should discuss the, the elephant in the room, and that is Star Trek V, just before we get into the full uh, on for Star Trek VI. Um, I, I, I mentioned before the show that I've kind of softened on Star Trek V, but for me, it's still really not a good film been given a couple more drafts and given some more time to do get the, to bring in ILM and, and that sort of thing. I think we could have had a better film. Um, or they could have done, uh, they could have dumped it all together and, uh, Star Trek six or Star Trek six would have been Star Trek five guys. What do you think? I think the actual story for Star Trek five had, it's pluses, although, the, the, you know, if there's anything about that that was a bit of a teeth-grinding element was, you know, like, all of a sudden, oh, Spock is a brother that we never knew about for all these years. It's like, what? Uh, <laughs> grind, grind, grind. Um, and, you know, uh, as we talked about off-air before we started, you know, like, if they just did a little bit more of a twi- like did more of what Harv Bennett did and looked back to the series for elements. They could have made the God character either Gary Mitchell or Charles Evans. And that would have made all the difference for that ending to make it that much better. I agree. So, so yeah, with, with work, that story could have worked. Okay. Jason. Oh, sorry. Reading, uh, reading William Shatner's book, and he, he talked substantially susten- about what happened in Star Trek Five. It's just a case of bad luck because ILM wasn't available. They had this the effects team that weren't very good. 
he wanted to make an end. He had this sort of this rock monster, which did not appear because of the budget. So, so many things that went, everything that could have gone wrong did go wrong. So I feel really sorry for William Shatner because it didn't didn't work as well as he he wasn't really his vision. I think I think he tried to when all the special editions were coming out, he wanted to do a like a director's cut and try and finish it the same way that Robert Wise finished the motion picture and he was rejected. But you know, it's the film myself, in my opinion, only really gets to become proper Star Trek towards the end when the when they visit God. It becomes really really good. Up to that point, it is. Absolute shambles, a complete mess. But listen, it wasn't all his fault over time. But it's, it's still got some good qualities in it. First of all, Shatner brought back Joey Goldsmith and musically, which was a very good wise move. Yeah, it kind of helped paper mm-hmm. some of the cracks. And it also features like one scene where DeForest Kelly has this wonderful piece of acting, which is really good when his father dies. I thought it was really, really good. Mm-hmm. And overall, and the best. Best thing in the film, acting-wise, is Lawrence Lockerbill's performance as Cyborg. I thought it was really, very good. And it's a shame he didn't... I think, looking at his IMDb credits, you know, he stopped acting afterwards for some reason, or acting acting in, in movies, for, which is a bit strange, because he, he, he's one of the best things in the film. So, overall, it is, in my opinion, Star Trek V, it, it was a... It, it was a missed opportunity, and, uh, mm-hmm. and people suffered for it for things not happening the way it should have been it could have been a far better film if Shatner, everything worked out and it would have been it probably been so much it should could have been so much better but it's unfortunately is 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 what it is the what the poorest one of the poorest of the star trek franchise films okay so now like i said now we're now now we're Although up to date. one one last comment about star trek five okay and that is that the one the one thing that and the the one thing that really stood out for me that made me dislike it at the beginning i've like you i've softened over time but i just felt that especially the characters outside of the core trio were almost a parody of themselves like you know having sulu crash a shuttle yeah he wouldn't do that, or or Scotty, you know, like not being the miracle worker that he really is, but but sort of more like a fraud, you know, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. That, that thing with Uhura as well seems very weird, and that, that was never never even mentioned again. And <laughs> well, except maybe if you watched Futurama, there's a an ep- <laughs> episode where that where that is is me- mentioned in jest. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the. So I I think Star Trek V was mishandled in a lot of ways, and it's a shame because you know at up to that point Star Trek could do no wrong. Mm. Um, so then once Star Trek V comes out, it's like uh, what's going on here, guys? So six six could not fail. It it, mm-hmm. it essentially could not fail if if it did. Um, the, the probably say it would probably have signaled at least the end of the franchise for many, many, many years. Um, so, so now we're uh, we're going to get to the music in just a second here, but I just want to throw in some uh, some other thoughts here. Now, Meyer's original plan uh, for the score was to adapt Gustav Holt's orchestral suite, The Planets, although his plan had provided proved rather unfeasibly expensive. Both James Horner and Jerry Goldsmith surprisingly turned down the film. Meyer began listening to demo tapes submitted by composers. 
Meyer described most of the demos as generic movie music, but was intrigued by one tape by a young composer named Cliff Eidelman. Now, Eidelman was 26 and had made a career in composing ballets, television, and film. But despite work on 14 features, no film had been the hit he needed to propel himself into greater fame. So much like when Meyer had taken a chance on a young composer back in 1982 with Wrath of Khan, he decided to go with Eidelman. So, um, as uh, we've kind of mentioned the, the Eidelman score, we're going to get into it right now. But I just wanted to say that uh, um, it was a surprise to hear the name Cliff Eidelman on because I, I remember asking someone outside the theater, um, who's doing the music? And there was a guy named Cliff Eidelman. I'm like, wait a minute. What happened to Jerry Goldsmith? What happened to James Horner? Who is this guy? And was greatly pleased at the, uh, the quality of the music that came from Cliff mm-hmm. Eidelman. In any case, so we're just going to get right to it. And uh, so this, as we're celebrating the 30th, anniversary of Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country. And this is Cliff Eidelman's score to uh, the film. And it was it, this is the music you'll hear today is from the 2012 release from Entrada. So here's music from Star Trek VI.
And with a little bit of music from the 1991 film Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country. This music, of course, by Cliff Eidelman. We'll be getting to a little bit more of that in just a bit. But if you're interested in any of the film, television, or video game music that I do play here on the show, by all means, you can contact me at, of course, visionsinsound at gmail.com. You can also try me online at facebook.com slash visionsinsound. I am on the Twitter at visionssound. I am also, uh, you can come onto my website, visionsinsound.ca, and I am also on Apple Podcasts. Just type in visions and sound into... Uh, Apple Apple Music or iTunes, and you'll find me under podcast. So welcome back, guys, to the show. We're celebrating the 30th anniversary of Star Trek VI. Now, one of the things at the time, and we kind of very briefly touched on this, uh, was the whole idea of that, that Star Trek has always been a mirror of the, uh, uh, of the current political situations. And I mean... Back, I believe Chernobyl was eighty six, and uh, and so yeah, when and with the Klingons being kind of um, the the Russian the Russian equivalent essentially, um, it was interesting to see that come come forth. Um, also, I like the way that they tied certain things in, and and. Bob and I actually had a discussion earlier this week, and I, I don't want to get into this, but not quite yet. But we're going to discuss the the uh, the the possible return of Savick, and if it if that would have made a uh, um, made the film that much that much better. We'll we'll discuss that in just a little bit. But uh, um, so, guys, um, thoughts on the idea of kind of being a, uh, a mirror on the political, uh, political, uh, landscape at that time. Well, yes. And, and the, the, uh, the Klingons right from their inception were basically, uh, analogous to the Soviet union, you know, right, right from errand of mercy where, uh, John Calicos as, as your first Klingon, he was, you know, but you know, but and they they really did mirror what was what had gone on with uh, Chernobyl in the explosion of Praxis, right? Because just like the Russians, kind of uh, you know, were were oh nope, nothing happened here. Don't know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like when 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 uh, when uh, Sulu in the in in the uh, uh, the Excelsior. Uh, Excelsior. Yeah. Uh, basically, we're uh, we're saying, uh, uh, you know, can we help? It's like, oh, nope, nothing happened here. No problems here. Go away. Don't go. Don't cross the neutral yes, zone. There has know? there has been an incident. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Yeah. And that uh, that's that's very also very much the way these kind of regimes do respond to that kind of thing. It's like. Oh, there's a problem. That's all. You know, nothing yes. major. Yeah. Yes, we 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 all have had incidents in our time. <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, yeah, but it, it, it's right. And also, Star Trek has always had this thing about you know getting away with social comments and political comments, but in hiding it in science fiction, particularly that episode of Private Little War, which I is really the, the mm. biggest 
Vietnam analogy you could ever think of from Star Trek. Uh, yeah, but it is as it is. Is Nimoy was, you know, it was commenting on the times. Ninety one, I think the Burning Wall fell down and Soviet Union was breaking up. So it was a, it was a good time for Star Trek to, you know, emphasize that in this in these terms and it, it, it do it do it very very well. Thank the Lord, I didn't do one on Brexit. It would be very interesting. Star, Star Trek Brexit. I <laughs> <laughs> got about. Thank God, I didn't do one about that. To be honest, but uh, you know, that's what, it's one of the strengths of Star Trek has been over the years. The social commentary, but hardly in science fiction. But in a way, all science fiction is social commentary. In you know, in a future futuristic world, is it's some so many examples of it over the years of of that happening. Writers getting a social comment into into their work and hiding it through the through science fiction and, and getting getting away with it in some ways even yeah. controversially it, it, it's a trope you've seen so many so many science fiction things over the years and Star Trek did it really well particularly the first two seasons and then sometimes the first season as well as no episode I remember uh, let let this be your last battlefield with uh, Frank Gorshin that's yeah. another real good social commentary episode it's it's, it's Star Trek at its best does that, and this Star Trek Six is Star Trek at its best because mm. of that social commentary. Agreed. Now the 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 thing is is that um, with with Star Trek Six being um, when it when it was set and and that sort of thing, and we 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 briefly again we briefly touched on the whole idea of it being like Chernobyl and the wall coming down and, and all of that all of that kind of thing. Um, it's interesting. In uh, to see, I'm, I'm trying to remember. It was it was Nimoy that did the story, and it was Meyer that did the screenplay. I can't remember yeah. exactly. I think it was. Yes, that's right. Well, Nimoy with with in combination with a couple of people did the yeah. story, and Meyer I think even had some co-writing uh, when it comes to the screenplay. I'm trying to. Remember. I just that watched is, uh, a few that, hours ago, and I'm you know. Danny uh, Martin uh, Flynn, I think his name is, something, something like that. He he co-wrote the screenplay with, so he had he had some help. But it's Maya was a it was a it's a great writer. I think, as you said, he, he oh, wrote yeah. he wrote Star Trek two in like twelve days, and he had a, he's a he had a high quality of writing when he gets gets on the old um, on the typewriter as, as it were. Like it's, mm-hmm. things like the Seven Percent Solution, Time After Time. That's all Maya. It is. He, oh yeah, Time when, After when get, Time is one of my favorite when, movies. When, when, when when he gets when he gets going, he's a, he's a very good writer. Right. Mm. And also, and also, I remember another film we did the the, uh, the controversial filthy eighty the day after about the nuclear, nuclear explosion. That's that's Nicholas Meyer as well. He's a very talented writer. And Star Trek, we're lucky to have somebody like him and the folk for these movies. Now, uh, mm. uh, just just a little side note there. I remember him supposed to be coming back for Star Trek Discovery, and that I don't think that ever happened. But that's oh. that's just something I, I I remember hearing in passing, or that's I I, I can't remember exactly could, for sure. That, that could have changed the whole face of Star Trek Discovery. I I agree on that one, but uh, that's not what we're here to discuss. Now, no, now, I'm now, saying. yes, but but some Although of the Nicholas Meyer is part of you know Star Trek. Oh, f- for sure, for sure. Now. Uh, one of the things that uh, I'll, I'll mention as well is some of the music that we heard coming into this is the actual assassination on the yeah. on the uh, the Chronos One, I believe it was. And do you think that the blood effects hold up? <laughs> I'm sorry. I like 
I, it's funny. I never noticed this watching it on the big screen, and I've watched it a few times since. And it, ne- I, I think it has to do with the fact that because I've got this 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 flat screen TV right by my computer that I was sitting up closer, and I was watching this a little bit more. And it's like I kept thinking that Klingon blood looks like Pepto Bismol. <laughs> <laughs> It's a bit gloopy, isn't it? Well, I was, I was, well, the gloopiness and and the color of it. It's just like, okay, this, what? This is Pepto Bismol. It's not blood. Yeah. Well, there is, um, I, I think considering the era, 1991, very early CGI, for what it is, it does hold up, but you're right. The color is off. Um, oh, oh, I think. where I thought they really did do well in the blood effects was the whole idea of having blood in weightlessness and how it formed into those balls, which is exactly what fluid would do in a weightless environment. Precisely. Now, they did explain why the blood was that Pepto-Bismol color, is that if, uh, if if the blood had been red, they would have got a higher rating. So it would have been like uh, a like a like a, uh, a, 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 a an, an R. It very possibly could have been an R rating. So I think that was that really? that was the reason for. Uh, okay, what's yeah, what's yeah, the what's the? I'm sorry. What's the equivalent over in uh, in the UK there, it Jason? Prob- probably it probably would have been a twelve over here. I think it's still a PG. I think, but it would have been a twelve. I feel probably. I don't think it'd been a fifteen. It would have been a twelve certificate. Because I think I noticed it's two rated PG over here. So probably it would have been a twelve, twelve A. I don't think it would have been a 15. I think the closest Star Trek film to be a 15 would Star Trek 2, because some of those uh, effects, some of those little bits, some bits are very close to the mark of being a 15 certificate. In fact, the, I remember the the DVD coming out, or the video, was a 15 certificate because of the uh, because of the blood and not the blood in that film. So I think it would have been like a 12A over here if if it was. If, I think it was still. I think 1901. I think they had the 12 because the Batman. In '89, so I probably I think it would have been a 12, but it's, it came out of a PG, and I see I see no problems with problems with it. One thing we've got to talk about also about Star Trek Six is the quality of the Klingons in the casting. You're we've right. Got to me- we've, we've got to mention David Warner. What a what a great actor to have as you know he's done some great stuff as the Kardashian that wonderful Turner Command episode. Yeah. You know, even appeared in Star Trek Five, but of course we've got to. We've got to also acknowledge particularly the late, great Christopher Plummer and his performance there is absolutely sensational. Mm. He really makes the film. So we really have to mention him, particularly as he probably passed away so recently. Exactly. Well, it was one of, it's one of, one of his finest performances. And what a, what, a great, what a great loss and what a fine actor he was. And this really, he was doing great work right up towards his death. Like his, his performance in, um, in one, well, that, oh, I forgot the name of the film. I like it's so early in the morning. The, uh, the mystery film recently. He, he's such a such a such a great actor. And he, he's so sadly sadly missed. Mm-hmm. I'm. I and wonder. It was uh, Christopher Plummer in 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 his role as uh, uh, Chang that he, he he again sort of circling back to the idea of political commentary, where uh, the line uh, in space, all warriors are cold warriors. You know, yeah. so it's very obvious that they're talking about. The Cold War. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Now, I, 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 it makes me wonder if uh, Shatner had some pull uh, in getting 
Christopher Plummer to come on board mm. for this because they worked together at uh, at at Stratford um, very closely, and over the years, I believe they did other other work together. So it makes me wonder if you know getting the uh, the, the Shakespearean Klingon was a, maybe a little bit of, uh, of 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 you know Plummer and Shatner working wanting to work together again. It 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 and it also might have been Meyer in this. Who but who knows. I'm not sure yeah. on that, but you're right. General Chang's performance, or, or the Christopher Plummer as General Chang, um, it is a really good. I mean, um, Christopher Lloyd was good, whereas uh, Christopher Plummer was awesome. Yes, mm. he 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 took the part seriously. He really made a mark. Really, really. Every time he's on screen, he he really did. You wanted to see what he was doing. He was such a. He, even to this day, it stands up. It's a real testament to his uh, acting ability to do that. And, and shows, shows, of course, I think they were Shatner and Plummer were close friends. And it's, you can see them acting together. They, there was a real chemistry there between them. Oh, for sure. Uh, the the line, you know, we need breathing room. And, uh, and very, very drolly, Kirk pipes yeah, up. Yeah, Earth, Hitler, strong. 1938. Yeah. Now, one Party. thing. Okay. Parting is such sweet sorrow. Yes. <laughs> One thing I will mention as well is that uh, Chang was so beloved that he ended up showing up in, I believe it was Klingon Academy, the video game, oh. as as a as as Chang. So added, yeah, okay. adding a whole bunch of of new elements to his character. I have never played the game. I've I've I have not seen the game. But if anybody has, visions and sound at gmail dot com. Let me know how it was. All I've seen are very uh, vague clips of of Plummer in there, but I've, I hear he was I, really good in it. I've seen footage on YouTube of that, and he's, he's still really good. And incidentally, the film, I've just remembered, Knives Out was the film, one of his last performances, and it's such a, he's so good in that film. Oh, yeah, he is, anyone, he is awesome. Anyone who's not seen Knives Out, you've got to see it, because he just, how, was it last year, towards, not far towards the end of his life, he's still churning out magnificent performances mm. and uh what 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 an, what an actor he was christopher Plummer, and he's he's greatly missed for everybody who loves films and loves sci-fi yeah very much so although it's interesting you mentioned you know yes christopher Plummer's portrayal of chang is awesome yeah i have to agree with you but uh lloyd's performance from star trek 3 almost became the template from which other people portrayed Klingons like if somebody was coming in to portray Klingon it's almost like they looked at his performance and copied it yeah you know I I can see that no Mark Leonard in in motion in the motion picture he set that he set the the look um but it was it was Christopher Lloyd in in Star Trek 3 that I think really cemented what a Kling what what the Klingon was and of course it didn't hurt that uh that they actually had a, a, a language for them and that sort mm. of thing that was all set out. In any case, guys, we could discuss this more in just a little bit, but I want to continue on with some more music from the wonderful score by uh, Cliff Eidelman. Uh, this was released on uh, Entrada Records back in 2012. Uh, in this case, we're actually going to be here uh, a few cues, The Death of Gorkin, uh, Rura Pente, and uh, Escape from Rura Pente. So, uh, spoilers, by the way. Just so you know. <laughs> so here is some oh, more. Oh, <laughs> you bought the movie now. Oh, yeah, well, okay. Oh. <laughs> All right, so here we are with some more music from the the score, the Cliff Eidelman score to the 
1991 film Star Trek, the, the Undiscovered Country, as we're celebrating its 30th anniversary. Back in just a bit.
Genesis Comfort Care in Kitchener provides comfort to our seniors with a wide range of services, such as personal care, companionship, meals, medication reminders, and much more, including respite care for loved ones who need support. Visit genesiscomfortcare.ca to learn more. Waterloo Region may be a thriving community, but that doesn't mean hunger doesn't happen here. Every day, people are forced to make impossible choices between food and other basic necessities. Help ensure no one goes hungry and donate today at thefoodbank.ca slash donate. When shopping online for insurance, finding the right coverage at the right price can be painful. At Jocelyn Insurance, we work with over 25 different providers. It's like a food truck festival for insurance. Insurance for your home, car, business, farm, life, and disability will help you choose what's right for you. Joslin Insurance. Real people, real protection, a real insurance broker. In Cambridge, Elmira, New Hamburg, Kitchener, Tavistock, and Wellesley. Joslin.com. That's J-O-S-S-L-I-N.com. Do you know a Kitchener resident age 65 plus who's helping to make our community a better place for others? Maybe they help a neighbor or volunteer with your organization. Why not nominate them to be Kitchener's Senior of the Year? Nominations are open until March 31st for this distinguished award, which celebrates the valuable contributions of older adults in the Kitchener community. The recipient will be announced by Mayor Barry Verbanovic during Seniors Month in June. To nominate a deserving candidate, please visit kitchener.ca slash senior of the year or call Carolyn at 519-741-2200, extension 5345. For 25 years, Hope Spring Cancer Support Center has provided free services and resources throughout Waterloo, Wellington, Grey Bruce regions, helping thousands with cancer and those supporting their cancer journey. From home delivery of free wigs and post-mastectomy camisoles to relaxation therapies. At Hope Spring, people living with cancer are supported with emotional and mental resources through over 100 wellness programs in a warm, inviting atmosphere. Hope Spring does not receive any government funding, so every donation is needed. To help, see hopespring.ca. 98.5 CKWR. Real Radio.
bit of music, or actually more music, from the 1991 film Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country. That's music by Cliff Eidelman. We'll get back to a little bit more of that music in just a little bit. I am joined on the show this week by uh, uh, two wonderful guests, uh, Jason Drury, all the way from Ramsgate, England, and Trexpert, Bob Pearson, as he appears on the show. When we have these kind of special shows, welcome, guys. It's always a great pleasure to have you guys on the show. Now, the, um, the great thing about, well, the interesting thing, the, the whole idea, I remember having somebody tell me, um, what's this undiscovered country thing? Did they find another planet or something like that? What does oh, that mean? Here. Yeah, I know, I know, Goodness. I know. Well, <laughs> the the idea is, and of course it is for those that uh, that may not know, it is the Shakespearean reference to death. And uh, it's uh, I can't remember the exact um, the exact line. I mean, Spock quotes it, um, but it is from Hamlet. And the thing is, is that. Apparently, if I recall correctly, The Undiscovered Country was the original uh, title for Star Trek II. That's oh. correct. That's mm. correct. And then it became The Vengeance of Khan, and then it became The Wrath of Khan. Mm-hmm. And the reason why it didn't, it didn't stay The Vengeance of Khan was the fact that it was too close to Revenge of the Jedi, which was rumored to be coming out around that same time, and <laughs> which... It didn't. It, never saw that. No, never saw that, never saw that <laughs> one. But uh, there was another one. Oh, and uh, so yeah. Uh, if you're uh, well, before we continue on with the show, I'm just going to say if you're interested in any of the film, television, or video game music that I do play here on the show, by all means, you can contact me at, of course, visionsinsound at gmail.com. You can also try me online at facebook.com/slash visionsinsound. I'm on the Twitter at Visions Sound, and you can also find me on my website, visionsinsound.ca. We have a 35% off sale on Visions in Soundware, so go visit the store and get your mugs, get your... I wish they had hats. They don't have hats, which would be nice. But uh, uh, they've got uh, one... I'm actually wearing... I'm not wearing my Visions in Sound tonight, but I am wearing something from the the wonderful uh, Tee Public people. Uh, But you can get... Stickers, you can get mugs, you can get uh, shirts, you can get hoodies, you can get onesies for your kids if you want, um, that kind of stuff. So, so go on down. It's thirty five percent off at least for the next uh, the next few few hours. So go on down. Visionsandsound.ca. Just look for the link to the store. I'm also on Apple Podcasts. So just type in Visions and Sound into Apple Podcasts or iTunes, and you can look for me under podcasts of course if you look for me anywhere else you probably won't find me in any case um welcome back to visions and sound as we are celebrating the 30th anniversary of star trek 6 now um the whole 25th anniversary thing was a huge deal i remember being um actually i went to toronto for the uh uh, i can't remember what they called it but uh down at nathan phillips square that's where uh, the 25th anniversary celebration was. And uh, it was an incredible place to be around that time. They actually showed the uh, the new trailer for the uh, Star Trek VI. 
and that sort of thing. So it was it was it was a real huge celebration. The 25th anniversary was a big deal. And so I just remember being there. Um yeah, the uh 25th anniversary. Uh, one of the things that that you don't uh, that doesn't get mentioned too often in this is that this was the uh, this was for the 25th anniversary of the show. So what did you guys, what we what were like, how I remember going down. Okay. I'll just tell you how big, a big of a geek I was in, in 91. I was 21 years old and I wore a, uh, next generation gold costume down, Ooh. down to the, uh, down, down to Nathan Phillips square. You know, I had the, I, I actually had a pair of sunglasses that looked like Jordy's visor. Oh, I, cool. I was I was that much of a I was that much of a geek. So, guys, in in ninety one, how big how big a geeks were you for Star Trek, or were you? Well, I've always been a big fan of Star Trek. It's funny I've never I've never put on the uniform though. That surprises me. Well, largely because I've never had the you know. One, I can't sew, and so I couldn't make my own the way some people do. And two, I, I, I've never been able to take the crowbar to my wallet to actually pay out the money to buy a uniform that somebody else has made because those tend to be pretty expensive. <laughs> yes. Yeah, well, uh, a funny story about that. And uh, when once Jason tells his, his uh, you know uh, stuff about Star Trek, then I'll, I'll tell you what happened with, with how I ended up getting the... Uh, the uh, uh the the uniform go ahead jason mm-hmm. i've never been so much to work i've been a geek on the episodes but i've never been wanted to, to dress up as a klingon or a member of the you know, starfleet but i think it's particularly i'll, I'll put if it if it, if it was a, a uniform probably would have had some something from the first motion picture because it looked like pajamas i could have went with pajamas mm. maybe so uh but and I've, I've always been a huge. I love, always loved the music. I've always been a huge fan of the music, and I think um, I think I know all the episodes now by heart because I think they, they keep uh, they they're always they're always on rotation on the horror channel in the UK. Mm. So every time it's on, I always pop in and have a look at it, see to see which one I want to next. And uh, get, apparently they, they want to come towards the end of season one for the umpteenth time now. So uh, <laughs> it's. it's uh, I think the last one they showed, I think, was uh, this side of paradise. So I just, just pop in and think, oh, oh, just just to just to see what this one they're showing today, and that, and so and, and and then kind of remember the lines when they come out as well. Some of the, for most of my kind of, kind of I can more or less recite some of the lines of some of the episodes these days. Right. But you know, I, I I try I try to keep focus and try not to be too much of it over the top of this sort of thing. But I've always been a Star Trek fan and always will be. Because yeah. mm-hmm. I do, I, I've always been a big fan of the series, and even there's only one episode I will not go near the barge pole, and that is the one the uh, the hippie episode. I can't stand <laughs> that episode. Mm-hmm. I, I, won't, I won't watch that if anybody paid me. Heading well, out to that, Eden, yay, yeah, brother. Yeah, that's the that's, that's the one. <laughs> I'll go do that. But apart from that, I watch every. I, I love the Star, Star Trek. I'll pop, you know, I can go into watch Generation and think, oh, what's this about? Oh, oh, it's that episode. Oh, that's a good one, you know. Well, where's but, where's but, the episode? If anything, although you know, the way to Eden is uh, is definitely uh, up there uh, or down there in terms of <laughs> worst episodes. The one that really has me, especially when I hear people say, "Oh, I love that particular episode," that has me clutching my chest like. Ah! chest pains is like Spock's 
breathe. <laughs> I, I love no, that episode. How it's can got, anybody it's, like that? It's got one of the best, <laughs> one, of, one of the best scores of the series. Fred Steiner's score that is superb. I well, love that I score. But... score, but it's absolutely nasty story. Brain, brain, <laughs> what is brain? <laughs> okay, and it was written. And it was written by Gene L. Coon. I don't know if it was a but it was one of Gene L. Coon's episodes. That's one of the things. He used to watch great episodes of the series. Yeah. Oh, bad. All right. Well, okay. Okay, guys. We'll bring it back. We'll bring it back to to Star Trek VI. Get your your next gen uniform. Okay. So, um, this was at a Star Trek convention going back many, many years. Probably, probably 1990. Oh, wow. Maybe 89, 90. I can't remember exactly for sure. It was either my first or second. So I'm going okay. through, I'm going through the, the various dealer rooms and of course, you know, getting, uh, uh, you know, uh, trying to find the music, trying to find all of, all of this stuff. And I walk by this one, this one display and I'm looking at the, uh, um, I'm looking at the uniforms and they were actually decently priced. I can't remember how decently mm. they were. And of course in 91, I had a lot of disposable income. Yeah. Um, uh, so I was like, okay, you know, cause I was able to go down to, to I think it was Toronto Trek at that time. And yeah, so I, sense. so I went down and I'm looking at this and all of a sudden the, uh, it was like, it was like a light up went on in, in, in the, the dealer's eyes. He comes rushing over, he grabs the uniform. Next thing I know, I'm wearing it. Mm. I, I don't know how that happened. I'm wearing it. And he's, and he's got me, uh, he's got me a communicator pin on me on, oh, already wow. and i'm like okay wait wait hold it hold it hold it hold it you know I, I i'm lucky i got out i got out of there when i did or i would have ended up having like a, a whole klingon headpiece on top of it as well or something like that <laughs> i don't know but it was just one of those those geeky moments unfortunately i don't have it anymore uh <sighs> it 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 actually went the way of a lot of uh of of clothes that i had it actually ended up in value village somewhere so Oh no! I thank thank. Well, you know what? I had no more use for it, and I didn't know anybody else who would, who would want to uh, to no, to man. don to don the gold uniform. It actually does. It. Uh, I was able to find um, pips for it as well for the, uh, ah, the yes. and all of that. And it was it was a it was a first second season uniform anyway, so it wasn't all that. Uh, anyway, it, okay. it's just, it's one of those things that, that hopefully the person who found it at Value Village is getting a good, is getting good use of it these days. That's true. I, I, I hope that is the thing. Now, one I of the, if I, that? if I could get myself a uniform from any of the series and it would be a very specific one and that's from Star Trek, the motion picture. Okay. You're I would with, want a, I would want a uniform that looked like Doctor McCoy's uniform. Okay, would you want a beard like because him? He was the only one out of all <laughs> the cast that got to have a a uniform with a collar. Yes, and everybody else had onesies. Yeah, pretty if, much. Onesies, onesies well, were and, and everybody else had 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 almost like a t-shirt type neckline. He had a collar to his with kind of a V-neck on right. the collar. Yep. You're right on that. 
Okay. And well, I don't know. I like the uniforms from Star Trek, the motion picture, but especially, you know, it's, it's like, hey, and blue looks good on me. So obviously I'd be an officer. Okay. Yeah, and Kirk, Kirk, Kirk's white lounge, like T-shirty thing is what he was wearing. That's, oh. that's not too bad. Okay. Let, let, let's stop the whole Star Trek fashion advice column here on, huh. on the show. Let's, let's get it back to somewhat. Okay. Now I, I kind of mentioned the whole next gen uniform for one purpose and that is in an unusual move uh, a two-part star trek the next generation episode called unification parts one and two crossed over in a sense with star trek six the episode dealt with uh, the reunification of vulcan and romulan people and starred leonard nimoy as spock of course there were a few references to star trek six and the episodes were intended to help hype the movie so what I did here was I uh, was able to track down, of course, I have a, a, an extensive, extensive collection of, of film and TV music, um, the, the score from the episode Unification 1 and 2. We'll play a little bit of that music, and we'll come back and we'll discuss some more Star Trek 6. And, you know, we're getting close to the end of the show. So uh, let's talk about, oh. that. We'll, at least we'll be getting close to the end of the show by that time. In any case, so here is some music from Unification, parts one and two, with music by Dennis McCarthy.
with a little bit of music from the episode Unification, or episodes rather, Unifications Part 1 and 2. That's music by Dennis McCarthy. Well, we're just going to get right into it, guys. Uh, it should be noted here that uh, the Star Trek uh, Voyager episode would also revisit the Star Trek VI era in an episode called Flashback. Uh, this episode was produced along with the Star Trek Deep Space Nine's Trials and Tribulations as part of Star Trek's 30th anniversary. It is noteworthy for featuring characters from Star Trek, the original series, including Sulu and Janice Rand. Uh, both characters appear by means of a flashback by Tuvok, taking place during the events depicted in Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country. As the show, as of this show, no music for that episode has been released, though. Uh, and and by the way, this also sparked rumors that a Captain Sulu series was in the works, which I think would have been awesome. All right, yes. so just very 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 quickly, um, Bob and I had a, a discussion uh, a couple of weeks, or uh, actually, sorry, about a week back, and uh, we discussed the the notion that uh, Valeris should have been Savic. And the reason why I say this, go back to um, Savick's first conversation with with uh, Spock about Kirk. She calls him very human. She says he's so human. And, yes. th- and Spock says, well, nobody's perfect. So flash forward to the scene where Kirk and Spock are, are uh, the, dining in, uh, the dining on ashes scene, where um, essentially Kirk, and, Kirk is... Kirk says, um, you know, uh, you're only human. And uh, Spock says, well, I, I, I must remind you, I'm not, I, I, I am, I'm Vulcan. He goes, no. Kirk goes, no, everybody's human. And I think that would have been a nice bookend to that mm-hmm. whole notion of it had, had it been Savick's betrayal rather than Valeris's betrayal, betrayal. Because all of a sudden, I mean, you might as well have put a stamp on her saying, poof, I am the villain or I, 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 I am going to be part of the bad guys in this film because otherwise, uh, uh, I, it would have been out of nowhere that, uh, Savick was suddenly, uh, you know, doing, doing, as I think Bob, you said it best doing the right thing for the wrong reasons. Or the wrong thing for what they think are the right. Right. Reasons. Yes. Oh, you're right. No I, right. actually goes into things saying, I'm going to be the villain. They actually think they're right. Exactly. But the other thing is that, that, that jumped out at me, because in preparation for tonight, I did watch two, three, four, and six. Right. And when you go back to Star Trek two, uh, Savick keeps coming to Spock, you know, with the kind of like, it's like, especially when they beamed uh, aboard from uh, from the 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 the, uh, the asteroid, and it's like, you lied. It's like, no, I exaggerated. Yeah. And you know, there was this sense of then, had it been the Valeris character been Savic, then that would be flipped around where it's like, you lied. You know, that would bookend that. Exactly. No, I I think that although there are a few exchanges like that, if I re, if I recall in yeah. Star Trek Six, where Savik goes a lie, and Spock goes no, an omission, an error, an omission, exactly, yeah. and that sort of thing. So yeah, there's there's that. 
I think it would have been neat to see uh, Kirstie Alley come back to do Savick in that. Apparently she was up for it, but uh, 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 the producers didn't want her to come back, I guess. I don't know. I wasn't there. But in, in any case, I think it, I think it would have made a better, now, now I think Jason, you kind of disagree. Well, for my personally, I thought she was such a good cat, nice, good, good character. I don't think she could have been part of that, um, conspiracy myself. And it was this, so in a way I'm, I'm pleased that she wasn't the character there, even though now thinking about it, the lines. Some of those lines sound more like Savek talking to, to Spock than, you know, it, it, so the lines were there if, if Savek had appeared in the, in, the, in the production. But personally, I'd rather have him, have, have Savek been, been one of the good guys, one of the good people. And, uh, have, but it would have been, I could see if it had Savek in there, I could, I could see it would have been an amazing plot twist and really would have been out of left field and really would have really shocked people. In terms of uh, having somebody like that who's been so good in two of the films, becoming coming a villain at, in towards it in Star Trek Six, it would have really been one one of the great plot twists I think in Star Trek history for that to happen. Right. But but but, in, but, but they had Admiral Cartwright in the end who appeared in, in four, become on the on the bag one of the Hawks in the end. So it kind of it worked in that way. But personally, I'm pleased it was Savek. Considering what happened, what she did in Star Trek two and three, and her little coming for, I still thought she was one of the main good people. She would have been on Kirk's side more than setting him up and put, you know, what because those people literally set Kirk and McCoy up to, for the fall and uh, right. to go, you know, for it. I, I can't see her doing that and betraying Kirk because I think because of because the, she had a loyalty to them from the first from from two and three because they. So I couldn't, I couldn't see her doing that as a, as a character. Although, but. although I, 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 I'm going to mildly disagree with you here. And that is because, although, yes, she has the loyalty to Spock and the loyalty to Kirk, she would have, witnessed, you know, having witnessed um, David Marcus die, by being stabbed by a Klingon in front of her, I think that hatred of the Klingons would have been more powerful in the sense that, okay, you're, you're giving up the store to try and make peace. That's not right, would have been her, her thinking. And that would cloud everything at that point. Well... So yep. I, I really think when they wrote the original story, though, it's it like that Valeris character. It sounds like they just sort of twisted what was supposed to have been Savick into being Valeris. Yeah, I can. I definitely see that. Well, guys, I don't want to. I I don't want to push us along too much because this is a really good discussion. But uh, we've got <laughs> some more music to uh, to to get to before the end of the show. Now. Um, Roddenberry did not leave, live rather to, to see the film's release, dying of heart failure on October 24th, 1991. Before the film's release, he viewed a near final version of Undiscovered Country and according to the film's producer and DeForest Kelly's biographer, approved a final version of the film. In contrast, however, Nimoy and Shatner's memoirs report that after the, sc the screening, he called his lawyers and demanded a quarter of the scenes be cut. 
The producers refused, and Roddenberry was gone within 48 hours. So who do you believe? All right, so we're going to, uh, we're getting very close to the end of the program, and so I'm just going to quickly get through a couple of cues here, and we'll be back to wrap up the show in just a little bit. Here's some more music from Star Trek VI as we're celebrating its 30th anniversary. Back in a bit.
All right. Well, that's all for us this week. Thanks for hanging in those that did. Before I end off this week's show, uh, uh, I'd just like to say, as you're, I hope as you're getting on with your day that you are realize just how awesome you are. Never let anyone tell you any different. If you're ever feeling not right, there are people out there who, who care about you and are willing to chat. If not family, then some professional who can help. As Rocky said, nobody hits harder than life. I know from personal experience how hard it is for me to sit behind this mic week after week when I feel like no one's listening. I would never have made it this far without a support of a huge team of people behind me. If you or someone you know is in crisis and needs help, resources are available. In case of an emergency, please call 911 for immediate help, the Canadian Association for Suicide Prevention, Depression Hurts, and Kids Help Phone at 1-800-668-6868. They all offer ways of getting help if you or someone you know may be suffering from mental issues. So, very briefly, Jason, I know you've got some stuff coming up, so what have you got coming up? I have a lot of stuff coming up. Unfortunately, I have some technical issues. One because my laptop died. But oh, no. Sort that sorted out. But it should be the, my Robert Falk interview should be coming up shortly on Tomorrow Radio Network. I've always talking to two wonderful people recently. Um, Austin Wintry, a good friend of this show, and uh, the composer Bruce Broughton, which I've got into the finish. I've got that coming up. I've also got a couple of an archive show working, and also another special quartet show is on the works as well. So I've got mm-hmm. plenty coming up. Hopefully, I can get things going and try and finish them off without my laptop. But uh, we're we're working on that. But uh, that's what's coming soon if I can get them finished. <laughs> okay. And I just like to thank uh, uh, my track expert this week, Bob. It's always a pleasure having you on the show. And thanks for having me. All right. So guys, um, have a wonderful night. And um, uh, join me next week as we kick off 80s month with a look at the 80s revival of the Twilight Zone. So I'll end off this. I'll end off. (laughs) I'll end off this week's show with some more music from Star Trek six. And I will be back next week with more visions in sound.